Welcome to Unraveling the Anthropocene, Race, Environment, and Pandemic, a podcast series brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective, or LAC, at the Pennsylvania State University. As an interdisciplinary group, we promote visionary scholarship in the humanities, we build community across different fields of study, and we highlight the ways that different disciplines inform and shape one another. You can find more information about our previous events on our website, sites.psu.edu backslash liberal arts collective. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic this year, we have developed this podcast series as an intervention into our global ecological emergency. In our discussions with scholars, activists, artists, and community members, we address how global ecological crises both impact and are impacted by political turmoil, widespread outbreaks of infectious disease, and racial violence. Welcome back to Unraveling the Anthropocene. This is Mugegedik joining you from State College, Pennsylvania. In this episode, I welcome Barfin Cicek. Barfin is a master's student in cultural studies at Sabandi University. She holds a bachelor's degree in English and comparative literature from Koch University. Her undergraduate thesis was titled Telling the Memories of a Massacre, Trauma and Testimony from Darsim's 38. She researches on prison writings, testimonial narratives, trauma narratives, Turkish novels, Middle Eastern narratives, Iranian cinema and literature, and posthumanist theory. Today, Barfin is joining us from Istanbul, Turkey. Welcome, Barfin. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Müge. I really appreciate your efforts for organizing such events, especially during those times uh, in which we need solidarity even more than any time before. Um, I will be very happy to talk and discuss with you. Um, I want to be a sincere talk because in these times we need more friendly talks even more than before. We are hosting Barfin to focus on her project entitled Revival of the Trauma and Intergenerational Memory During the COVID-19 Pandemic. Barfin, could you tell us about your background, your research, and how you came up with this project? Your kind introduction tells enough about me, um, but uh, let me say a few words. Um, I was a graduate of comparative literature, and now I'm a master's student at Sabanji University's Cultural Studies Department. And I also work at Gender and Women's uh, Studies Research Center uh, with an excellent team of researchers who uh, conduct research on international scale. Um, my research focuses on modern and contemporary Iranian literature at the moment. And my interest is for literary resistance and subjectivity, as well as the relationship between politics and arts. Um, actually, this project was an idea which came up to me during those early days of quarantine. As you have well expressed, uh, my honors thesis was about trauma and memory narratives. And while I was in quarantine with my 82-year-old grandfather, who is from Dersim, today Sunceli from Turkey, I ob observed his anxiety because he, he wasn't able to go out uh, for months, and which is um, he is not used to at all. Um, the policy for those who are over uh, 65 years old were not allowed to go out for a long time for any reason at early months of the global pandemic. Um, so he was one of those who was suffering from not being physically and mentally active for a long time. 
and he expressed the stress of getting infected by the virus and dying at the end. Um, during one of the day, uh, days uh, when we were together, uh, he started getting more anxious about the pandemic and telling me that he was worried of uh, what happened to those people at Dersen massacre in uh, 1938 uh, will re re reoccur today. Uh, he had these conspiracy ideas in mind, and at the moment of shock, he was claiming, what if all this, uh, what is happening today, um, is a strategy for wiping out the vulnerable people from the world? And I was really confused because those events and genocide had nothing to do with the pandemic today. Um, however, the feeling of entrapment made him remember what happened to his grandfather, who was uh, forced to move from Dersim during the time when uh, my grandfather was born in 1939, uh, just a year after the Dersim massacre. So he grew up with the stories and testimonies of genocide that his grandparents uh, lived through. Um, my observation of his behaviors in times of crisis enabled me to make an argument on the relations among the intertraumatic experiences. I mean intertraumatic in the sense that the reoccurrence of times in crisis triggers the way people were traumatized in the past and can manipulate the ways in which the survivors might feel helpless and feel threatened themselves. And most importantly, uh, I have to admit that I was inspired by the pieces that I read during our class, um, Gendered Memory and Political Violence, uh, lectured by Ashegul Altanay, who is a human rights activist and academic at Sabanji University. Her book is um, co-authored by uh, Mariana Hirsch and titled uh, Woman Mobilizing Memory. It's a great contribution for transgenerational studies of memory. Um, in this book, she, along many scholars from different parts of the world, elaborates on the memory studies and how post-memory as a term on its own creates its working fields and shows how our identities are shaped by the memories of whom uh, we were exposed to as a child or as even individuals. Um, Mariana Hirsch's Woman Mobilizing Memory is a piece that presents strategies of cultural studies um, to produce the knowledge uh, in an interpretive way. As well as archive research, it reminds us that memory and testimony are the new archives for uh, rewriting the history. So Hirsch addresses the ways and strategies that women develop uh, in order to redress uh, the violence at women and at other uh, disenfranchised social groups. Uh, women's struggle isn't only gender-centered, but it's also transnational and for everyone. For representing the atrocities of the past, uh, those women researchers, at Hirsch, as Hirsch mentions, needed special techniques and communicative relationships in order to observe the traumas of the people. A researcher has the responsibility of exchanging um, as many knowledge and communication as possible if she wants to write about history through the collective memories. In that sense, the subject is the living archive, uh, which awaits to be discovered and investigated so that post-memory can reshape and express what is silenced and not, not given a voice in the history. In your project, you explore in your words how the contemporary pandemic revives the traumas of the people, especially those who are about 65 years old and had to be quarantined according to the law. With this project, 
you build a connection between the Darsim massacre of 1938 and the COVID-19 pandemic through traumatic experiences and testimony. Parfin, can you tell us what happened during the Darsim massacre of 38? Um, after the establishment of uh, the Turkish Republic in 1923, the policy of the government was to apply its nationalist ideas and uh, Turkifying policies to the people of the country to homogenize the population and make them obey the Kemalist principles of being a modern state. In that sense, the clan-like groups living in Dersim geography were stigmatized uh, barbarians. Uh, needed to be uh, modernized in the way uh, which new republic requires them. The leaders of the clans uh, from Dersen were de-weaponized and some of them were killed while women and children were sent to the families of Turkish generals as servants or children to be adopted. There are memories of those compiled by Kazım and Nebahat Gündoğan's book uh, Dersin'in Kayıp Kızları, uh, The Lost uh, Daughters of Dersin in which they bring together the testimonies of the people who were forced to live with uh, the Turkish families, so they will be adopted to the state ideals. Um, in short, the reason for the operations in Dersim by the newly established government of uh, Turkish Republic during that time was to impose a Sunni Turkish identity. And as Dersim community was established by uh, Ashirets, uh, as I said, which were small armed clan-like groupings, the government wanted to exterminate potential opposition from the Alevi, Kurdish, and Armenian populations in Dersim, which is also a possible threat to unity of the country in the mind of the state, of course. Um, Dersim massacre isn't confronted politically in the history of Turkish Republic. In that sense, it's difficult to talk about a collective memory of Dersim. Rather, we can mention historical consciousness as uh, Özlem Göner offers in her research of Dersim. She's an anthropologist and she wrote several articles on uh, Dersim massacre. She asserts that telling the life stories creates um, a memory form in which consciousness of history enables the narrator to reshape their sense of history, politics and identity. So by telling their stories, uh, the survivors confront the pervasion of the trauma because keeping silent is to surrender to it, actually. Going backwards, what are the connection points from the COVID-19 quarantine to the generational trauma of the Arsene massacre? Although there is no specific connection, or there is nothing special to Dersim massacre and its memory to emerge. I believe it's general for the historical traumas to emerge in the in times of crisis. Although there is no study that I can name about the intertraumatic remembrances and hauntings, there must be a standpoint in which we can start thinking about the contemporary pandemic as a collective trauma to make empathy and identify with the pains of the others. In psychology research departments, um, there must be some research on the COVID triggering post-traumatic stress disorder that's related to past issues. However, we have to think in a social context to avoid any more violence in the future. 
as I tend to experience this pandemic as an opportunity for improving the solidarity in the world by seeing how our borders are transparent and collaboration needed. But it's also an opportunity for remembering those times people collectively suffered for uh, violent political reasons. This feeling of entrapment that the pandemic makes us feel can be a starting point uh, for understanding how those went under ambiguity and anxiety might have felt. Those times of pandemic really affected the way uh, we understand how our subjectivities are shaped and uh, what are the cores of our lives. Because we are confined at homes, we are uh, deprived of what makes us who we are, maybe our jobs or the art we make or the people around us. Although the pain uh, the survivor has to go through um, cannot be comparable to what we experience today, we can build uh, connections to understand each other. In this context, I wonder, what is the connection between traumatic experiences and memory of the generations? What role testimonials play in this regard? Um, if we talk about testifying, we firstly need to express what witnessing is. There are stages of witnessing, according to um, Dori Lau, who is a scholar of memory studies and a Holocaust survivor. He asserts that the first stage of witnessing is to be the first-hand witnesser of the traumatic events. And secondly, those who listen to the testimonials of the survivors are the second witnesses as well. And lastly, we as readers of the testimonials also play a role of witnessing in the sense that we are the agents who witness the atrocities from the telling of the others. Um, as the listener of the survivors, we should be very careful not to perpetrate their traumas. Rather, we need to listen because listening itself is an active act and it enables a chance to give voice to those who have this imperative to tell. Dorila quotes the testimony of a Holocaust survivor who says, and I quote, we wanted to survive as to live one day after Hitler in order to be able to tell our story. So Laub explains the statement by writing that the survivors didn't only need to survive so that they could their stories, but they also needed to tell their stories to survive. So therefore, surviving the trauma requires an imperative need to tell. This first attempt to tell itself is the first step to confront with the trauma. So while reading the testimonies of Darsen massacre, I observed that survivors developed coping strategies uh, subjectively so that their way of narrating uh, were different from each other. As the researchers, we have to acknowledge different ways of narrating the traumatic experiences and the way uh, the witnesses preferred uh, while they expressed their pasts. In that sense, there is no limit which defines the utterances of the collective memory and its imprints. Any type of testimony will be a way of stepping into healing from the traumatic experience. So Laub's articulation uh, is related to healing in this sense. He writes, and I quote, on the one hand, the process of testimony does in fact hold the promise of truth as a return of the same normal and connected world, unquote. It's almost revealing uh, the trauma from one's consciousness when one testifies the brutal events. About the importance of uh, sharing the traumatic experience, um, Love asserts that the longer it takes uh, the trauma to be told, 
the more uh, the witness loses uh, his or her conception on the trauma. Therefore, it uh, becomes more difficult to face and work through it as long as it remains untold. Telling the trauma and transmitting one's story to the listener uh, prevents the witness from staying in a silent retention, which contaminates uh, survivors' daily life. Um, therefore, there are some survivors confront and accept their traumatic past by telling it. This helps them to resist to the trauma as a first step to healing. We as researchers, on the one hand, have the responsibility to work on transgenerational memory and need to see the importance of the testimonies. So in your research, how do you approach traumatic experiences? How do they affect everyday life? Um, traumatic experiences affect our lives in many ways. I mean, psychologically, socially, or even politically. But theoretically speaking, trauma destroys one's perception of the present because the image of the past is haunting for those traumatized people. Uh, Kai Erickson, for instance, writes, traumatized people often come to feel that they have lost an important measure of control over the circumstances of their own lives and they are vulnerable. This vulnerability sometimes occurs in different shapes, maybe such as not being able to function anymore or losing life energy or even self-blaming. I observe such a self-blaming narrative in their testimonials. Victims um, sometimes claim that what happened to them was their fault because they didn't follow the, the rituals and codes of their culture or they started questioning what happened to them was a result of what had done wrong during their lives before they experienced uh, the pains. While I was writing uh, an honors thesis on Darsen massacre, I found the imprints of same manners from the narratives of the survivors. They felt as if they had no right to live peacefully, but the mourning and self-punishment for surviving vis-a-vis -vis the ones who are dead. I even observed a guilt for surviving among the survivors while their beloved ones are dead. So this shows the magnitude of the violence the dead ones experiences because even the survivors aren't able to be thankful for their surviving after witnessing the violence and pains their families, friends and relatives experience. If we extend the scope of our talk within this context, what can we say about the communities that have been acutely affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, this is a difficult question for me to answer because I'm not an expert of COVID-19 pandemic and its results. But I have to admit that the gendered effects of the pandemic are observable. Above all, pandemic reminded us uh, of our vulnerabilities as human beings, uh, the plans we make, the way we work hard for a better future. They are all dependent on things that we can neither foresee or control beforehand. So I believe the pandemic has uh, gendered impacts because women and men might be experiencing the pandemic differently, especially in the countries where gender roles are still separated in such a way that expecting women to be domestically more active than men. More than that, I would like to understand how COVID is different in terms of traumatization. 
we first need to understand the collectivity of the COVID experience and we as individuals seek support uh, when we go through collective atrocities. However, in those times of pandemic, uh, we are not able to find physical support. Although we can communicate online, it doesn't have the same effect of sweating, um, uh, of uh, drinking a, a cup of hot coffee with your friends after a long day of work. So we need some kind of kinship that makes us feel complete or safe. So what are some ways research, activism, art, and outreach programs can help raise awareness and redress issues of ethnic and social injustices? In this context, in general, however you would like to respond. I always believe the uh, power of art uh, to unite people on good deeds and empathy. And when we see how someone other experiences uh, what we feel in a beautiful way or an unordinary way, we tend to be mesmerized and which is the effect of art on us. Um, for example, Anita Tutukyan presents uh, a very good example. She's an artist from Lebanon and her grandmother Hiripsme is from Dersim and she is forced to move out of the region during the events of uh, 1938. And Tutukyan's famous exhibition, Exbroideries, uh, is actually presenting her grandmother's embroideries. On those uh, patterns, Ripsima tries to create uh, shapes in which uh, she remembers, such as triangles reflecting the mountains or some other shapes representing her family and relatives. So in that sense, uh, Tutukian's um, exhibition is a good example of how transgenerational memory can be a starting point for creative incentives. So Tutukian's giving voice to her grandmother's art is a way of uh, creating awareness. Such events give voice uh, to those people who were forced to silence and whose existence uh, were denied. In that regard, I find literature a very powerful source for enhancing the limits of representation. For example, in the trauma question, Roger Lockhurst describes writing the trauma as a way of issuing a challenge to the capacity, uh, capacities of narrative knowledge. If so, the trauma itself is a way of challenging the ordinary, ordinary ways of understanding the reality, writing about it, and even reading it through a text uh, as the readers who become the witnesses of the author's traumas while reading them. So at this point, uh, literature has the role of leading uh, the process of uh, reading the testimonial narratives by posing questions uh, to those narratives. That's why post-memory is very important. I mean, we as descendant generations have the ability to give voice to those people who are awaiting to be heard. As we approach the end of our episode, I would like to ask you, what will be your recommended reading list or websites for someone who wants to learn more about the topics we have covered today? Our listeners can find these resources on our website at sites.psu.edu slash liberal arts collective. Um, the first uh, source will be uh, Gabor Mates, uh, when the body says no, the cost of hidden stress 
which is also translated in Turkish. It's a very useful source for coping with trauma and stress. The other important sources, uh, Dori Laub and Shoshana Feldman's testimony, crisis of witnessing in literature, psych psychoanalysis and history. I benefited uh, from this source a lot while I was writing my honor thesis uh, because it's an interdisciplinary piece, actually. Arlena Vakian's book, A Lion Woman's Legacy and a Different Future, Armenian Identity Through the Prism of Trauma, Nationalism and Gender, are really important sources for those who like to read about how our memories shape our identities. Uh, reading Arlena Vakian's uh, The Legacy Continues uh, was an exemplary reading for me as a reader because it doesn't only write the history of a person as a survivor of a genocide, but it also presents a new way of uh, doing research through the, through the memories. As a citizen of a country which doesn't mention its children about the brutal uh, past of Armenian and Dersim genocide, I'm not able to feel anything but sadness um, for the people who suffered. And because the massacre wasn't talked and we weren't uh, supposed to talk about it, we embody the experience of silence unconsciously by a long inhabited behavior of not knowing and not confronting with the crimes of the government. I was deeply affected by Arlene's uh, statement of how her subjectivity was shaped by her grandmother's memories. Even though she didn't experience the trauma firsthand, she always experience the atmosphere haunted by it. In that sense, transmission of the memory is intergenerational and it's so powerful in the sense that it makes the descended uh, generations straight life stories of the elders into the centrality of their lives. So when they get adults, they are not able to accept the idea that their beloved elderly people suffered from injustices and pains. Um, for those who are interested in reading testimonials of Dersim Massacre, uh, would really love to uh, read Emir Aliyan's uh, Beyaz Dağda Bir Gün and Cemal Taş's uh, Dağların Kayıp Anahtarı. Uh, both authors are anthropologists from Dersim and uh, they actually translate the uh, testimonials in Zazaki into Turkish the testimonials are available to more uh, readers in number. And uh, Özlem Göner's research article titled Histories of uh, 1938 in Turkey, Memory, Consciousness and Identity of Outsiderness is one of the most important, uh, important sources for, for those who like to read more about the history of Dersim. She makes uh, really interesting uh, theoretical uh, differentiation between collective memory and historical consciousness in the case of Dersim massacre. And lastly, I would recommend uh, Ketika Root's uh, Trauma Explorations in Memory. It's a very important uh, book for trauma theory. Actually, it's uh, maybe the first established uh, book that will come to the mind of those who are uh, working on trauma. That's all I can contribute. Thank you very much, Barfin. It was a very important conversation and we are very happy to host you in our series. Thank you very much, Mugge, for this chance to talk about my project. I really appreciate your efforts.
Unraveling the Anthropocene is brought to you by the Liberal Arts Collective at Penn State. This series was made possible by the University Park Allocation Committee, the Department of Comparative Literature, the Department of Spanish, Italian and Portuguese, the Rock Ethics Institute, the Humanities Institute and the Center for Global Studies. We at LAC thank you for your support. This episode was produced by Mugegitik. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Visit our website for our announcements of upcoming events. You can also find us, the Liberal Arts Collective, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Take care!